This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bloody hell. There are days in journalism where there is nothing happening and you're scrabbling around for a splash. Then there are other days when you're out the, do- out the door. I think we know which day I'm talking about today. Uh, I'm Michael O'Toole, crime reporter with The Star. Welcome to Shattered Lives, our uh, Irish Daily Star podcast. Today it's all about one thing, the acquittal of Jerry Gerard the Monkutch for the murder of David Byrne. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Paul Healy, who, as you know, was in court today and has been in court for the vast bulk of the case. And before I go any further, I just want to say, Paul, you were absolutely fantastic today. I wasn't in court. I was on another job and I felt what it was like to be a civilian because I was refreshing you every 30 seconds. So uh, Danny Duval, who was with me, our journalist, we were both very concerned for your thumbs. Um, yeah, uh, look, uh, I was sweating buckets uh, all day. Uh, God, it was such a warm day today on top of it all. So it, that that made it the hardest thing because my laptop died and then I had to start tweeting on my phone and my hands, my sweaty palms were so bad that I, I was so afraid of, and I was nearly accidentally tweeting the wrong thing. It's very live and, and you, you know, you, you can't get it wrong. I, I thought your tweets were fantastic because they were very clear and I, I didn't notice any mistakes. So I thought they were brilliant. And I think you've done this. The people of Ireland a great service today by the tweeting. I know know that when I was watching, everybody was saying how great you were. And I was a civilian today, so I thought you were fantastic too. So fair play. Now, what was it like? Well, bloody hell, yeah. Where do we start? Um, Oh, my God. Uh, Just a whirlwind. I've just finished a kind of a first-person piece there. And I, I think this is my overwhelming thought and I'm now free to kind of give, I suppose, a bit more of a personal opinion. Uh, I certainly felt that on the basis of the evidence that was before the court, that it was obvious to me that Jerry Hutch uh, should be um, found not guilty of the murder of David Byrne. Uh, having said that, uh, to actually hear Miss Justice Tara Byrne say the words that, that he is not guilty uh, was a shocking moment for me, and I think anybody in the court, I mean... As we pointed out before, uh, there is something of a 90%, nearly 100% conviction rate in the Special Criminal Court. And there was a feeling that, in spite of everything, that they would put this judgment together in such a way that perhaps uh, it would make sense and he would be convicted of the murder. And especially in light of earlier in the day, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, the co-accused in the case, were uh, convicted of facilitating the murder of David Byrne by providing vehicles Um Again, even though the evidence against them was different, there was just a feeling 
that I was like, oh, this is probably going to result in a guilty verdict. So um, while I thought it was going one way, it was still a shock to hear it uh, end up as a not guilty verdict. And, and, and you and I had plenty of discussions about this offer, and I think we both made a decision not to make any predictions or, or to give our, our personal opinions. But, I mean, I, I slightly differed from you in that I thought he should have been acquitted, but maybe because I was mindful of that. I mean, I tweeted the conviction rate or the conviction rates for the Special Criminal Court. So my, my belief was he should have been qu- acquitted, but I I probably differed from him that I thought there was maybe more of a chance that he would be convicted. And, you know, when I was reading your tweets, it, it, it sort of, whenever Ms. Justice Tara Burns said, I am satisfied, because remember I said to you off air, look, what the judges have to do here is to pull things together, draw inferences and make decisions. So it, it was, I, I, so my view was, he should be he should be convicted, but I did believe that he probably would have been uh, convicted. So it was watching it, and even I have to say it was like a game of tennis. There were things that I saw you tweeting, and I went right. I said he's walking, and then there were other things that are oh, he's in serious bother now. Especially, I mean, we can talk about this if you want to go back, but we'll just we'll talk about this very quickly. When Miss Justice Tara Burns said that. At one of his quarter, didn't he, she basically said that uh, Jared Hutch had control of the icon? She said that the Kalashnikovs, the yokes, were the Kalashnikovs, and she said that she that Jared Hutch had control of them. But it was from the seventh of March. So when I read your tweets, I went, "Oh dear," because we did speak about you know if they say the yokes. What what did you think when you heard her saying that? Well, that was the first thing that she said in a long time that indicated uh, some level of guilt, perhaps, uh, that Jerry Hutch had had committed uh, some type of crime. Uh, prior to that, she had been speaking about the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall, and it became quite clear quite early on that the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall was, um, put it this way, dismissed by the judges. It was not reliable. They couldn't rely upon what he had to say. But when it came to that specific part um, about control of the weapons, I mean, that was fascinating to hear because... Uh, effectively, there is a portion on these tapes, the 10-hour tapes, uh, where Jerry Hutch speaks about the yokes. And as you said, uh, the judges accepted that the reference to the yokes are the weapons. Two days later, they end up in possession of Shane Roan. And uh, Jerry Hutch is clearly heard on the audio speaking to Jonathan Dowdall about the transfer of those weapons, those yokes, uh, about moving them up north uh, as a present um, to the Republicans up north. And then that is what transpired, uh, the, the transfer of those weapons two days later. But there's a clear distinction here, and Miss Justice Burns laid it out in great detail, between that particular fact that Jerry Hutch uh, was in control of and in possession of the firearms on the 7th of March and the allegation that was before the court, and that's the key thing, the allegation by the state was that Jerry Hutch was one of the two shooters and that he was present in the Regency Hotel. And that is not, uh, in relation to the firearms, that is not the case that he was uh, being asked to, that the, the, the exact quote was that this, this is not the case that Jared Hutch was here to meet. And she was quite, she was, a, sorry, she was very dismissive of the state's claim that Jared Hutch was one of the shooters. I mean, she completely destroyed that. Yes, she completely destroyed that in, in a number of ways in relation to the CCTV footage even, which is something I didn't expect her to get into. The CCTV footage uh, shows the two shooters and she says that you can see on the footage that uh, they have agility they have speed one of them is seen getting up on top of the counter moving quite quickly and a witness in the case even described one of the shooters that's tactical one as being a young man and she said it was reasonable to infer that jerry hutch a man in his 50s 
um, just didn't meet the description of the two gunmen that day. And there was no other evidence supplied uh, throughout the entire trial that would indicate the presence of Jerry Hutch in the Regency Hotel uh, on the 5th of February. And in fact, um, it couldn't even be established that Jerry Hutch was in the country, she said, at the time. And do you think it's fair supposition, Paul, I know we're probably having to read minds, and look, just to explain, we're Paul and I are doing this off the cuff, so it's just a sort of stream of consciousness. Do you think it's a fair supposition that the the state and the DPP put forward the claim that Jerry Hodge was the shooter purely on the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall? I think that probably is a fair assumption because it was Jonathan Dowdall that, that placed him there. Jonathan Dowdall says that Jerry Hutch met him in the park, in Ellenfield Park, uh, Whitehall, and that he confessed that it was him and Mago Gately. But Miss Justice Burns did say that the evidence on the tapes contradicted that claim because Jerry Hutch is, is heard talking about how the six persons involved don't even know each other. Um, and in relation to that, then, she thought it was strange that if he had prior confessed to having been one of the shooters, that he would then make a statement like this, uh, you know, days later. She thought it was strange also that the pair did not discuss this alleged confession or that Dowdall didn't bring it up in any way. So she really did uh, demolish Dowdall's evidence? She did, and, and, and it you know it comes first to his conviction for the torture of Alex Hurley. She said that there were problems in relation to his credibility and reliability. And even when it came to him speaking about that, something he had been convicted of, uh, he tried to fight back and push back against uh, certain facts in relation to that before the Special Criminal Court when he was cross-examined. So he was a problematic uh, witness in relation to that, she said. And then when it comes to just... That cross-examination process, uh, she said that Jonathan Dowdall told a, quote, barefaced lie to the Special Criminal Court in relation to, if you can recall, Pierce McCauley. So uh, Dowdall claimed that he had met with Pierce McCauley in prison, but he kind of passed it off as uh, he met him two, maybe three times. And direct evidence put to him uh, by Brennan Grattan, Senior Counsel for Mr. Hutch, that he had, uh, that, that visiting record showed that Dowdall had visited uh, Pierce McCauley 14 times. And he was meeting Pierce McCauley supposedly to uh, to bring about some sort of broker some sort of peace deal in the feud so miss justice burns said that he had been caught telling a barefaced lie to the special criminal court and then in his prior special criminal court case he admitted to having lied to the court then so when it comes to all of that how can he be a reliable witness how can he be somebody that you can trust the word of when he's a proven liar and an admitted liar and i thought it was really interesting when miss justice Dara burns spoke about this i think now dismissed meeting at enfield park when she said, how could he effectively, that a, a, a murder confession would be seared upon his mind. How could he get not remember the exact dates? Yeah, so in relation to that park meeting, um, you know, Miss Justice Burns basically said, that, as you've mentioned, that, that that should have had a searing impression on, on Jonathan Dowdall's memory and that he, and he should have remembered whether it was the morning or whether it was the afternoon. And as I mentioned, nothing corroborated his evidence. Based off everything that I've said to you in relation to him lying to the court and in relation to, to, to that, whether it was morning or whether it was afternoon, Miss Justice Burns said that on the basis of Dowdall's evidence alone, they couldn't rely upon it. There needed to be corroborating evidence. The The, the biggest thing that could have corroborated him was the tapes. Um, but the tapes, they just simply don't add up with his story. And, and in particular, what I just mentioned to you, that they were having conversations for, for 10 hours. And at no point uh, do they mention the confession. And she thought uh, that it was strange that Jerry Hutch 
doesn't bring it up or that Jonathan Dowdall doesn't try to clarify what was supposedly said to him uh, in Ellenfield Park, you know, weeks weeks prior. And so, I mean, Danny Deval, who was with today, we were both reading your tweets and he did make a very good point that he spoke, and I think you mentioned it there, Paul, that Jerry Hutch spoke about the hit team in the third person. He said they. And that, you know, if he was speaking off the cuff yeah. naturally... That's a bit of an indicator. And I think the judge picked up on that really, didn't she? The judge did pick up on that. I mean, at no point does Jerry Hush say in the tape, you know, when we did this or when I did this, he speaks about the Regency in a way that is in the third person. The prosecution alleged that there are tacit admissions or, or, or allegations um, in inferences made by Jerry Hutch of his own involvement, but she didn't accept that. There's nothing on the tape she said that uh, that you could infer that he was in the Regency, and that's the specific charge that he was in the Regency and that he was one of the shooters. It could perhaps, she said, be inferred that Jerry Hutch was maybe the person who organised, maybe he plotted the Regency. Certainly he knew things in relation to that. But she said that's problematic as well because later in the tapes there was evidence that would suggest that perhaps he was out of the country and there are certain facts that he was out of the loop on. Like she mentioned, so there's a portion on the tape where Dowdall and Hutch are talking about the media and the paper coverage and Dowdall is informing Hutch about everything that's kind of happened in relation to the investigation, uh, the search on Patsy Hutch's home, the, the alleged discovery of keys for a van, uh, the search of Buckingham Village. Jerry Hutch doesn't know about these searches and she uh, asserted that if somebody like Jerry Hutch had been involved in the Regency Hotel attack, you think he would have shown more interest in the Garda investigation and he would have had a better knowledge uh, of the events, the immediate aftermath events of the Regency Hotel, and yet he didn't. Can I, can I just ask one very quick question, Paul, because something uh, I thought it was very interesting. We'll talk about the Sunday World picture of Flatcap and the man in drag. And we know that in this alleged meeting, obviously Miss Justice Tarburns has, has demolished, um, you know, Dowdall said that he recognised Patrick Hutch, who obviously had an Oli Prosecchi entered in the murder trial in 2018, and he's not before the courts charged with any offence, but he claimed that he recognised Patrick Hutch, and Miss Justice Tara Burns completely rejected that. Yes, she completely rejected that. She said it just it couldn't be probable that Jonathan Dowdall could have recognised Patrick Hutch on the basis of this pixelated photograph uh, of a man in drag uh, in the Sunday World newspaper, unless he had access to information uh, that, that wasn't presented. The, ev- the, the facts alone that he supposedly recognised Patrick Hutch from this, it just did not add up. And I just want to go back to the tapes, uh, if that's okay, because there's an awful lot in the tapes. Because when it, we we've kind of dismissed Dowdall, and rightfully so, that was dismissed early on. He's not a reliable witness, and he cannot be corroborated. But there's a lot on the tapes that the state was really hoping would nail the conviction uh, for Jerry Hutch, and. There's even something as minor, it might seem minor, but this shows you the meticulous nature in which the judges examined the tapes because Jerry Hutch talks about the murder of David Byrne and he actually refers to him as Liam Byrne. And Miss Justice Burns even went so far as to say if somebody was so centrally involved and, and knew uh, about shooting David Byrne that he would get his name wrong in that way. Uh, it kind of showed that he wasn't really necessarily that clued in on on the facts so to speak and remember these were unguarded comments by jared hutch and jerry hutch he obviously didn't know he was being bugged so there was unguarded so it was the you know that whole thing about people are the real real, the real selves when they don't know they're being listened to or they don't know they're being watched so you know this was you know he didn't have a clue that the, the nsu had bugged 
the, the, the National Civilian Institute had bugged the car. So, you know, it's a fair assumption that this was his reality. Yeah, and remember then, this is somebody he's speaking to who he supposedly confided in and confessed to murder in, and yet this conversation does not imply that, it, it, that he had that conversation at all. Um, in relation to the so-called clear admission, so the prosecution said on the tapes there was a clear admission of Jerry Hutch of involvement in the Regency with this, yeah, he knows, yeah. Jonathan Dowdall had said to him, had you said to the, I think this individual, we up north, uh, that it was used at the Regency and he said, yeah, he knows, yeah. The judges determined, look, this doesn't establish how does a sentence, yeah, he knows, yeah, establish that Jerry Hutch was the shooter or that he was in the Regency Hotel? So she said there's portions of the audio um, that the prosecution rely upon to, to, to show that he was, the, sorry, that there, are, there aren't portions on the audio that support the prosecution's case that he was the shooter. Um, so in, in, in relation to that, I, I've mentioned that the judges ripped apart uh, this claim that Jerry Hutch, on the basis of the audio, that he was a shooter, that he was in the Regency. Um also, they kind of tore apart the possibility that he could have planned the Regency. They did say, though, that it was a possibility. However, a very interesting point uh, that did come up was that they claimed that evidence before the court did show that the that members of the Hutch family, is the way it was phrased, meticulously planned uh, the Regency hotel shooting and the murder of David Byrne. But that's not the case that Jerry Hutch is here to meet um and she even went as far as to say that on the basis of the evidence it was possible that the regency was planned by quote patsy hutch who it's important to state is not charged with any offense and is not before the courts um but certainly point the finger was pointed at patsy hutch as being perhaps the person who planned uh, the entire thing um but there wasn't any independent evidence on dowdall's allegations or on the tapes that Jerry Hutch planned or that Jerry Hutch was in the Regency Hotel, let alone even in the country. And that's something that we all kind of, when we examined it, did sort of think was the case, but we're not judges. Uh, but but look, they've examined this uh, after 52 days, 13 weeks, and they've had an additional three months to examine all of the evidence. And they determined uh, that there is nothing there that can prove beyond all reasonable doubt uh, that Jerry Hutch carried out the murder and that Jerry Hutch was involved in the murder. So, Paul, just from reading your tweets, it did strike me that it was a very well-structured and very well-thought-out judgment by the three judges. Yes, it was incredibly well-structured. I mean, we, we went into the courtroom at 11 o'clock and we were still there right up till after three, I think it was, in the afternoon, going through each and every detail of the case. And I mean, they start from the beginning and they talk about the events of February 5th, the weigh-in, you know, the, the, what the footage shows, what the background is it was a way in event that was organized in part by daniel kinnahan uh, daniel kinnahan was the target in the case they said that david byrne uh, was obviously a, a target uh, that he ran back into the hotel and that he was spotted that the other person who was lying uh, who was crouched down behind the reception desk was looked at but was clearly identified as not being a target however when david byrne was looked at he was shot so he was clearly a target on that day they went in through all of that background and then uh, which we'll briefly speak about. I think we should do it in a whole other pod, to be honest with you, because uh, 
it's it's just too much but Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy we went through all of the evidence in relation to them and effectively uh, Miss Justice Burns dismissed uh, the claims by Paul Murphy um for example that uh, that his taxi it couldn't have been the same taxi on the CCTV footage they looked at that and examined it in detail and determined that it was the same taxi I'm summing this up all very quickly and then in relation to uh, Jason Bonney, they dismissed uh, his two alibi witnesses and ultimately concluded that the evidence against him was strong in terms of the footage showing his BMW X5 going to and from. A very interesting statement um, from Miss Justice Burns in relation to the allegation by Jason Bonney that perhaps it was his father, William, that was driving the vehicle. This was a man, his father, who is since deceased and could not defend himself. Um, and, and she quite vehemently condemned uh, this particular allegation by Jason Bonney that he would put his father in the frame when there was no evidence for that. And she said that the the evidence of uh, Mr. Bonney's brother-in-law, Paul Byrne, that he spent the entire day uh, at William Bonney's home in his presence, in his company, um, she accepted that that was a reliable narrative and, and that he was to be believed in relation to that. And so she didn't accept any of Jason Bonney's uh, evidence in his defence and, and said that it was clear that, uh, that he was the person driving the BMW X5. So both of them were convicted before Jerry Hutch, before the evidence in Jerry Hutch. They were both convicted of providing the vehicles, uh, assisting the criminal organisation, which the judges have accepted is the Hutch Organised Criminal or, uh, Organisation uh, in, in carrying out the murder of David Byrne. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's talk reaction. What was it like being, see, you were pro- I know you were busy uh, tweeting and covering the case. And sometimes it's very hard when you're in that position to do a look around you and to take things in. Were you focusing on that or did you have a chance to look up and see how Jerry Hutch was reacting or that Bonnie and Murphy were reacting? Uh, briefly, but not really, because you're live tweeting, and and you could probably tell by that that, that my brain is quite frazzled, uh, and I can't remember every single detail. I'm giving you the highlights, but uh, I did look up for Paul Murphy. I recall he looked quite red in the face, um, you know, but there was no smile or no forlorn look for or no hands in the face or anything like that. Just he looked quite red in the face. Uh, Jason Bonney didn't appear to react at all, um, and then when it came to the not guilty verdict, uh, Jerry Hutch has been stoic and silent throughout this whole thing and has always kept his eyes in the direction of the judges and on this particular occasion did the same thing but I, I noticed that he briefly nodded his head uh, seemingly in the direction of the judges um, I don't know whether that was a thank you or whatever but he nodded his head what happened next uh, just surprised me because we were all sort of standing there watching Jerry Hutch and kind of wondering right well are they going to bring him out the back are they going to but it's important to state that we from that moment on, when he was found not guilty, he is no longer a prisoner. He's no longer the responsibility of the Irish prison service. So he's free to go. And that's exactly what happened. He walked out from the dock and he walked right in our direction. Uh, and as I was walking out of the courtroom, Jerry Hutch was actually walking behind me. It was a very strange experience walking. Very strange experience after you've watched this man uh, for 13 weeks sitting in the dock and going back out with the prison service out of a particular door, that he's suddenly coming out the same door as, as us. Um 
And next thing we know, we're walking with him, uh, surrounding him, no one really quite knowing what to do. Are we allowed to ask him for comment there inside the building? Kind of generally frowned upon to do that, so no one, no one really did say anything to him. A couple of people shook his hand, uh, members of the public, and uh, he first waited at the lifts, and then he decided he wasn't going to take the lifts, and he went down the steps, public steps. We all followed him down the steps running after him uh, at this point uh, some reporters did feel uh, to it was appropriate maybe to ask him um, your any reaction to the verdict how does it feel to be a free man do you feel vindicated he didn't respond to any of that he did look at several reporters who asked him questions but never uh, entertained them with any kind of a response he got down then to the second level um, which is where that that area where the the uh, where you can get food and drinks and he kind of meandered around there for a bit it seemed like he didn't know where he was going he was the members of his legal team were with him but there didn't seem to be any kind of kind of clear plan and you would expect given the level of security he's a he's a you know he's still a target for the Kinahan cartel and i mean there's a huge police operation in place armed guardie around um but he's wandering around didn't seem to know what he was doing then went uh kind of over uh, to the chairs, um, seemed to sign something uh, for a particular reporter who I won't identify and gave him uh, the sheet of paper and then walked off uh, out a door, out a door into a smoking section and then um, disappeared for a bit. I was brought through another particular door and then we thought, right, he's coming out the side gate. Now, generally speaking, uh, when you walk out the courts, most, if not everybody, has to walk out the front doors of the court. Um, but you remember when Patrick Hutch was acquitted, uh, sorry, when the Nola Prosecute was entered for Patrick Hutch, uh, he walked out the side door. He was facilitated in that, which was very unusual. So we thought that's what was going to happen with Jerry Hutch. We all ran up to the side door. We're all standing there for a while, and then it kind of became apparent maybe he's not going to come out the side door. Some of us started running back towards the front entrance, and... Um, this stage, the Byrne family came out. That is uh, Sadie Byrne, the mother of the mur- murder victim, David Byrne, and um, some other members of the family. They didn't want to engage, didn't want to speak, uh, told the media to leave them alone and to go away. And I would say like maybe a minute or two after that, not very long after that, very, very shortly after that, Jerry Hutch himself came out the front doors of the court, which was just extraordinary. No one expected that to happen. Uh, given the weight, the gravity of all of this, uh, that he would walk straight out. And it was a bizarre sight and an absolute media frenzy. I've never seen a media frenzy or circus like it. I mean, there was just a, everyone's just pushed forward right at him and screaming and shouting and look, I'm a short man, so I can't really get my camera above certain people's (laughs) shoulders, but I tried my best. And then we all sort of kind of just, I guess, chased him up the street. Uh, He walked up Infirmary Road. And again, meandering about, stopped several times, turned around several times, sort of looked a bit confused. At times, it looked like he was going to stop and give like a impromptu press conference. At one point, he actually did seem to stop like and he was about to say something. And then it's like as if he thought better of it and then said nothing and then continued to walk. And we're like, where the fuck is he gone? <laughs> and then eventually realized he was trying to find a taxi, which a taxi sort of kind of just apparated on the road and no one was paying any attention because they were just i mean at one point reporters and members of the public are surrounding him in the middle of the road i mean it was just pe- people honking their horns and screaming at him and there was one uh, man who was actually in the presence of jerry I don't think jerry knew him but he was telling everybody to back off and leave the poor man alone and all this and uh like people were just asking him 
you know, how's it feel to be free? It wasn't like he was being asked anything particularly. How's it feel to be free? You know, what's it like? You know, but he clearly didn't want to talk. Got into the back of the taxi and that was it. But that was just crazy. Are you telling me, did a journalist ask him for an autograph? No, 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 no. Sorry, I probably implied that. No, I think somebody might have got a phone number or something. Uh, I don't know what it was, but uh, it wasn't me anyway. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't want to... I don't. I, uh, maybe I shouldn't speculate on that. <laughs> no, no. I, I was sitting there going, "Job's gone." <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It Although there was, a, 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 there were people trying to approach. A, a woman tried to approach him in the courts, uh, seemingly a member of the public, and she was trying to get a selfie. You know, and it was like it had to be explained to her. I think by a member oh. of staff, it's like you can't be taking pictures inside the court building. You know, so there you go. But uh, I, just, I just, I just don't think anybody expected that to happen. No. Okay, so. What are, what questions do you have, or what what are the questions overhanging us after this trial? I suppose why did the the Gardaí seek um, a murder charge? I think that's a fair question. I think there is clear evidence in the trial, and it was stated by Miss Justice Tara Burns that Jerry Hutch was in control of the firearms, and um, even Jerry Hutch's defence counsel, Brendan Graham, said in the trial that perhaps. The, and he made no admissions on behalf of his client, but he said perhaps there's suggestions of a firearms charge, but newsflash, he's not charged with a firearms charge, charged with murder. Just, just the, the state kind of seemed to, the prosecution in particular in the case, seemed to hang on this claim that Jerry Hutch was the shooter, that he was one of the two shooters. I think the second they said that, I mean, that was the end of the case, I think, because there was never any evidence, and we waited right until the 11th hour, that Jerry Hutch specifically was one of the two uh, people dressed uh, in ERU, fake ERU guard uniforms carrying an AK-47 and that shot David Byrne. There was just never any evidence provided that that was the case. But perhaps there's evidence that Jerry Hutch was in control of the firearms, as they said, but that just isn't the charge. So I think it's a fair question. You know, they, they extradited him. They brought him all the way back from Spain. It was a huge operation. And I don't want to insult the Guardi in this because it was obviously a hugely meticulous, difficult, lengthy uh, investigation. And there were, you know, a huge amount of manpower and work clearly went into it. And individuals have been identified in this um, that have a lot to answer for. And let's just be clear that Jonathan Dowdall and Patrick Dowdall have been convicted in relation to the Regency facilitation. And now Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy have been convicted. So it's not a complete non-victory for the state in that they have secured convictions in this case, which is great. But when it comes to Jerry Hutch, they just didn't prove that he was a shooter. And so there's legitimate questions there. I mean, why they didn't maybe seek other charges. Well, I think you've read my mind there. The bigger, the big question for me, if you think back to the Patrick Hutch case now, as we mentioned, he's not before the courts and he had a nolly prosecco entered. So that it's, it's, fact, it's not a, an acquittal, but it's, a, it's an effective acquittal because it's shelved. So the case does not proceed against Mr. Hutch and he's entitled to his good name like everybody else. But I covered that case and he was charged with murder and he was also charged with possessing the Kalashnikov used, the Kalashnikov used in the killing. And that didn't happen here. So from the outside observer, the state, whatever, whoever, put all their eggs in one basket, not even murder, but that he was the shooter. And I think that's a legitimate question. You know, why charge Patrick Hutch with possessing the firearms and why not charge Jared Hutch? Exactly. And then uh, there's a huge question over uh, Jerry Hutch's brother, Patsy Hutch. There's a lot of evidence in the case in relation to 
his alleged involvement. And now the judges have outright said that perhaps he was involved in the planning of the Regency. And they even said that perhaps he was involved in the transfer of the weapons because of his involvement with Shane Roan on the 9th of March. Um, if that's if that's the case, then he has serious questions to answer. It's important. He's not charged with any offence. But, I mean, the, the judges now have stated that Patsy Hutch was involved in the Regency and evidence was provided for that, and they've stated that he was involved in the transfer of the weapons. So, I mean, what happens next in relation to that? Well, I think I may have some news for that because I sent a query into the Garda Press office to see if they had any uh, response or reaction to the judgment of the court. So I'm going to read it out. Um, and Garda Siakana uh, notes the verdicts of the Special Criminal Court delivered on the 18th of April in the trial for the offences relating to the murder of David Byrne. And th now, this is really interesting. And Garda Siakana is continuing its investigation into the murder and events at the Regency Hotel on the date in question. This is an active, ongoing investigation, and this is significant, and investigators remain convinced that there are still individuals with information relating to the events of the 5th of February 2016 who have not made contact with Garda Shikana. We appeal to anyone with information, however insignificant it may appear, to make contact in confidence with the guards. So what I take that is this investigation is ongoing and they're still looking for people and they want people to come forward. So, it, it, you know, uh, how can I put that? Maybe they're down, but they're not out and they're, they are intent on going after other suspects. Yeah, and it remains to be seen what happens. Uh, I think there was maybe speculation that if the evidence of Jonathan Dowdall was not accepted, then he could not be relied upon or his evidence could not be relied upon in any future trial. And he did say that he would be willing to give evidence in any future trial. But uh, again, that's another question mark. If they do proceed with any future cases, do they rely upon any evidence in relation to Jonathan Dowdall specifically? So that's another legitimate question. I I think I, I think that's very difficult, Paul, because the judge eviscerated him. I mean, she really, you know, with a scalpel of a surgeon, a legal surgeon, she eviscerated him. So I wonder, would any prosecution counsel sit there and go, well, he got his malt knocked in by Miss Justice Tara Burns. Will we do it again? I, I think that's very unlikely. Uh, I, I, again, who knows? We'll have to see what happens. Um, but then uh, the other question mark is what happens then with Jerry Hutch? Um I don't think anyone could have said that he was going to walk out the front doors and quite casually uh, walk out in the way that he did. It makes me question... Oh, well, we did today. What, what do you mean? <laughs> we did. Well, no, I, sorry, just contextualise. We, uh, People will know that before the, the, the murder trial started, Jerry Hutch was arrested in prison. He was taken out and arrested uh, over the, uh, and a separate investigation for directing a crime gang. That investigation is ongoing. And what we revealed in the Star and the Mirror today was that there was no file sent to the DPP, the investigation is still ongoing, so Gardy were powerless. And we said this, Gardy, he, he can walk out the front door if he wants, if he's acquitted. And, that, and that, that's what effectively happened, because there's no preventative detention in Ireland, you know, you have to have, you know, yeah, yeah, there have to be evidence and stuff for an arrest or for a charge. So, you know, he could toodle out the, the front door, and that's what he did. So... But look, it, I mean, my information is it's going to be several months before the file is finished. And it's in relation to John Murphy, the, the corrupt ex-Garda superintendent and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's the investigation phase is done. They're now putting the file together. But that could be several months. And then when a file goes to TPP, and, it, and that will be a complex file because there are other suspects, it'll be several months before the law office gives a decision. So 
it's a good long way, but as I say, we don't have a preventative detention here. So once I knew, I heard that he was acquitted, I thought, well, he can just walk out the door, and that's what he did. But he does have that hanging over him. There's another investigation into him. There is, but uh, I mean, if you were him now, would you be sticking around to find out? Uh, and that's another question: Has he left the country? We don't know where he went in that taxi today. Um, but uh, what are they going to do? Get another European arrest warrant if he? Infects off to Spain, like we just don't. It, it, it we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. No, and there may be no charges. I mean, the, the DPP may, you know, there will be a file sent to the DPP because the guards said they're preparing a file for the DPP. There will be a file sent for the DPP, but the guards don't decide uh, charges here. They make recommendations in the vast majority of files they send to the DPP. But it's up to the DPP. She and her office make the decision. There may be no charges. Who knows? He may live out the rest of his life in wherever he is, Lanzarote or Fuen Hirola, wherever. Who knows? But I, I, I'll put it this way. I don't think this is the last pod we'll be doing about Mr. Hutch. No, it isn't. And it's not the last pod we're even going to do on this trial. Uh, we want to get this pod out tonight, so we will probably leave it here. However, I didn't even talk about all of the evidence against uh, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. And I think I think maybe uh, I didn't go into forensic detail about the evidence against Jerry Hutch and, and what the judges said either. Perhaps we can do another pod maybe tomorrow or during the week on that. And who knows Who knows what other developments there might be in the meantime. Yeah, and, and look, you know, it'll give us time to let it breathe and be a wee bit more considered. We just wanted this to let get this breathe. out because, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and we just, you know, it is important we get it out, but it is also important that we step back and you know, let things rise to the surface and, and consider other things. Right, okay, Paul, thanks again. That was fantastic. Great stuff today, fair play. And thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I just, yeah, I just want to say a special thank you to uh, everybody that followed um, my coverage in particular on, on Twitter and for nice messages. And also thank you to everybody that listens to Mick and myself. Um, and has we started this pod uh, on the first day of the trial kind of off the cuff and we kept at it and we've enjoyed doing it. So uh, thanks very much for listening to us. And thanks to Kieran Bradley for being a very patient producer. Yes, thank you, Kieran, as well. Absolutely. Okay, thanks everybody. <laughs>